Welcome to the Gridiron Breakdown, the football show for the fans, by the fans, where we discuss the X's and O's of each week's premier college and NFL games. Your hosts are Lindsey, Brian, Alan, Josh, and Jay. Now let's get to the breakdown. It's time for the Gridiron Breakdown. I'm Lindsay. I'm Brian. I'm Josh. I'm Jay. Allen is out tonight, so we will wish him well. But we are here to get you ready for week eight of college football, week seven in the NFL. Glad you have joined us as always. The gridironbreakdown.com is where you can find links to all of the show outlets. Follow us on Facebook, like the YouTube page, subscribe, hit that notification bell so you know when we go live, and subscribe to our audio feeds because there are exclusive bits of content in each of those outlets. We appreciate the support, and also follow us on our social media as we continue to grow the empire here uh, at the Gridiron Breakdown. Well, uh, we're down a man tonight, but uh, we've got plenty to talk about, even though it's a little thin on the uh, the schedule this week. But want to start out with some pick records updates i'm getting so yeah that's got me choking there too (laughs) (laughs) well speaking of which alan went five and five last week so he is 48 and 29 on the year though so he is in second place overall josh you went six and four very respectable 45 and 32 on the year Lindsay storming back eight and two on the year 47 and 30 and brian Talking all this trash in the text thread about how he's going last. He's these big, you're poor mouth and worse than Nick Saban does. Eight and two, 49 <laughs> and 28 on the year, dominating as always. So good picks last week. Um, you know, I blame the Hokies. <laughs> and the you, right. Well, you know, Army tried. They really did. Wisconsin did. out Actually, Army. I don't feel bad about that pick at all. No, no I don't that, feel that's, bad about that pick at all. And Lindsay did betray her blood to uh, to pick that uh, pit game. Told so. you so. <laughs> you did. Like there was like multiple texts of like, guys, I've lived this. I'm telling you. It's <laughs> almost like I follow that team pretty closely. <laughs> it is. It is as if you knew that evil was dying tonight, and the yeah. evil was Just the Justin Quinte. Lot better than you did last week's, Linz. <laughs> is your Brian still speaking to you this week? Oh yeah, no. This game, I think. I think. He was I think he was nervous as you know we started getting hammered and I was like it's cool it's cool because you know what I'm the only one that picked Pitt to win yes. so this is my point exactly exactly so and Pitt did win Kenny Pickett starting to make a lot of noise as a as a potential quarterback in the NFL I don't know about this Heisman noise but he's definitely having a great year there's no doubt about it the dude is slinging it all over the place and he he is their offense there's no doubt about that uh, their defense is, eh, we'll see. But uh, we're not picking the pick game this week, even though they're playing Clemson, because I think we all know how that movie is going to end. We've seen Clemson, and uh, let's let's not uh, let's not talk about the, where they are at this point. We do need to talk about though the fact that there are five five openings in the P and not the P five in the FBS right now. UConn. Is open Georgia Southern? I mentioned it again. Thank Darn you, it. Alan. That's for yeah. you, brother. Feel better. <laughs> UConn's <laughs> open, Georgia Southern's open, and Washington State is open. They're all going to be competing amongst the same candidate pool, so we're going to put them over here to the side. USC's been open for a long time. We've known that. And LSU announced this week that they are parting ways with Ed Orgeron. Apparently, that is a deal that was in the works after the Kentucky loss. 
And just because they went and stomped on Florida, they're like, mm, no, we're going to put that out anyway. Let's, he's not going to less miles himself into a job. Josh, you said this offline to me. Yes, you did. Yeah. So, um, so what I wanted to do though, to start off with is talk about those two jobs, because I do think they are in the same stratosphere in terms of what they're going to be recruiting for in terms of coaches. And I wanted to get perceptions from you all about which job you think is maybe not better, but maybe like which one do you think is, is more attractive right now? And what kind of, and don't give me a list, but like what kind of thing you think they might be looking for in a coach wise. So Lindsay, I'll start with you on that one. USC versus LSU. I, I don't know if I can answer the, what they might be looking for in a coach wise. I feel like, Regardless of the pool, LSU is the more desirable sell here. I think that they have that. I don't know. For me, I just feel like they have a richer history. Maybe it's because I know a couple of LSU fans. And so for me, it seems like their fan base is just more loyal, I guess. Not that USC, I don't, I get, I just don't know much about USC or their fan base. Uh, New Orleans or LSU is right in your face. And it's only like an hour from New Orleans. So if you're interested in culture at all, I feel like you've got the food. I know we're, we're all calling big- it culture in New Orleans, <laughs> aren't we? <laughs> it's okay. culture. Right. Uh, <laughs> let me uh, No, I'm going to stick with that. Be- okay. No, we're all. What big- happened to NOLA is going to stay in NOLA. <laughs> yes. But no, seriously, NOLA has all this great food and all this great music. And it's just, I don't know. It's yeah, what's LA got? Traffic. (laughs) Homeless people. There might be some music and food in LA. I don't know. (laughs) All right, Josh, jump on in there. I I you clearly have opinions. (laughs) Oh, listen, um, everybody get everybody get comfortable. Opinions? Oh, yeah. Look, they're both great jobs. They're both great brands. Um, USC might have a bit more prestige. Um, you talk about the football history. There for a while, if you played halfback at USC, you you won a Heisman. You know, they've, they've had it. And you don't even have to just go back to, say, you know, the Charlie White and the Orenthal Simpson years. Um, you know, they, they won some Heismans, you know, in, in the 21st century as well, some titles. Um, so, you know, and, and you know, um, you know, Linz brings up the uh, the lifestyle of nearby um, New Orleans, you know, Los Angeles, you know, the weather's pretty nice. You've got earthquakes instead of hurricanes, both the kind in your glass and the kind that come in the Gulf and destroy the city every few years. The other thing, though, you know, the thing with these two <laughs> jobs, there's pressure at LSU, mm-hmm. expectations at USC. What's the difference? Failing at USC is not going to get you dragged on Twitter. You won't have your character assassinated, your name defamed. You're not a target. You don't have to shelter your wife and kids because you become invisible. The L.A. Coliseum is empty. Snoop Dogg and the Will Ferrell aren't on the sidelines. Now, that part may not be so bad. USC offers access to great recruiting talent and a conference that is so very up for grabs right now. They offer a great tradition, great alumni, Some very nice rivalries in the landscape, something that we're going to be talking a little bit more about um, here in in our show tonight. You can succeed at USC, and that success can lead to championships. It's a very attractive job. LSU, do yourselves a favor. Go look at NFL rosters, and don't look at what school they played for. We'll get to that in a minute. 
Go take a look at this, and instead, look at the hometown of these players. The LSU is in the hottest hotbed of recruiting talent there is with Louisiana and Mississippi. And it's not a question hardly of can any you other win. school around them to steal it from versus USC. I'm good to go. Lindsay's got me fired up now. Sorry, I'm not it's comfortable. Not a question I'm not, of, I should have gotten comfortable, Josh. That's on yeah, me. Yep, yep, go yep. On. Get, get your cup and britches. Get your, you, grab another pull off your beer. It's going to be good. <laughs> um, it's not a question of, you know, can you win big at the LSU or, or not? It's, it's a proven fact. You have to try not to recruit talent when you're at the LSU. The last three coaches that had the head coaching job there, one national titles and two of them might be legally retarded. Um, they, you know, and, and they both might be getting, um, you know, sued for um, overseeing boorish behavior. But that, that, that's another day on Donahue. You won't just be on TV like every other team. Like right now, you know, we're all keeping our eyes as we're, as we're recording this on um, Coastal Carolina and App State. Those guys are on TV on a Wednesday night. When you're at the LSU, you're on prime time or in the treasure featured time slots on Saturday afternoon. Game day comes to your campus. Your fans are insane, and they are already drinking and tailgating for your first game next year in early in late August to early September. The kids you recruit are going to see an atmosphere that very few places on earth can hope to compete with, and you only need to be reasonably capable to be a huge success in Baton Rouge. The flip side is you absolutely better be mildly competent because neither God nor Witsec can help you or your family if you don't win at the LSU. Um, the Cajuns are crazy. They actually think they're as good as Alabama. <laughs> the SEC is a brutal conference to compete in and try and win. The hotbed of recruiting you're in, and this is getting to where Lindsay was just talking about, Puck, what's up, dude? Um, everyone in the SEC knows all about that recruiting talent. And they're coming for it. You are going to have talent, but check this out. And, and Brian, I think you'll appreciate this as our NFL guy. There are, were a total of 363 former SEC football players. They were listed on NFL rosters for the opening weekend of 2021, up from 356 last year. At LSU, you will have the best talent. You will face the best talent. You're a hero if you win. You will be tarred, feathered, drawn, and quartered if you lose. And then the fans are going to get upset and go to work on you. Oh, and Oklahoma and Texas are on the way. Which job is easier? I think USC. Which job is better? LSU. Which one would I want? I want to be in the broadcast booth in the SEC so I can go to all these places, watch all these games, and make sure that none of you ever have to listen to Gary Danielson again. God bless me and the fine work I am doing. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this about uh, LSU and their recruiting hot before I toss it to you, Brian. One thing to note about them right now, they had the number four class three years ago, the number three class last year. They had a top 10 class right now that, yeah, is going to get rated a little bit, but they're probably still going to get a top 10 class. You get a competent, good coach in there, that's a nine and 10 win team next year. Like, it really is. That is a turnkey operation. SC, they got a good wide receiver. <laughs> they had a quarterback we were kind of excited about at one point and nothing else. They so had two that, we were excited about that, at one point. And <laughs> that takes a minute to, to reset. The good news for SC is uh, there's nowhere to go but up. Um, well, you can get worse, but they probably won't. Ask uh, Arizona. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what happens when you do what they did. Um but, yeah, I don't know. LSU definitely gets their share of guys in for sure. So, now, Brian, again, you, you're 
we're dragging you into the college football scene, us and your your oldest son. Uh, but what you know, just from the outside looking in, LSU, USC, perceptions, thoughts. What do you think? I mean, I think Al, uh, Josh laid it out perfectly right. I mean, this comes down to recruiting to me, and you're going to recruit people better at LSU because they are have a much better chance of making it to the NFL if they play in an SEC team. Mm-hmm. So to me, I want that job because I'm going to get the top talent. None of you've mentioned the real reason you want the SEC job. The buyouts are awesome. So like, like there you go. That too. No, no, no doubt. This is true statement. And he will tell you this. If you can understand his English, Ed Orgeron was set for life when he got fired from Ole Miss 10 years ago. Cause he hired a good financial advisor and like, he, he will tell you like, man, he doesn't his money, but, He's going to go ahead and take that cool $17 million they owe him and be the ambassador for LSU for the next few years uh, because uh, he's got dirt on them and they've got it on him and they don't want to share it with each other, unlike what's going on in Tennessee. Uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah, that, I mean, the buyouts <laughs> at LSU are great. So, yeah, so it's kind of a it's, – it's, it's an interesting situation. Like I said, we got five openings. Um, I dare say that it's not over yet. I think this carousel – the sort of Damocles is going to swing on the coaching hands this year, and a lot of it's going to happen in the ACC. And uh, there's going to be some other ones moving as, as we go to. We're not done. And then as those guys get hired, the ripple effect will will just happen on through. So uh, we're not done talking uh, coach openings and all that stuff, but that was a big one, and we, we needed to get it, get it uh, in the show tonight. And you know it's bad when you get fired after a win. Well, you, you know, the, yeah, you knew they had you fired before that win. And to, <laughs> to his credit, so. it looks pretty Hath- bad. Hathaway and I've been going back and forth offline about this, talking about it. And he's like, dude, I think he's already fired. This was after the Kentucky game. And I was like, I don't know, maybe they'll let him save it. And I was the dummy that put the, does this change Ed's calculus after they beat Florida last week? No, the calculus test was over. It was just a matter of when they were going to put the Again, I remind you, I was told there would be no math on this test. <laughs> Well, uh, there are buyout math, and that's what matters. The answer is so, seventeen million. Yes, yes, quite a bit. You know so, what? Not to any question I've been asking lately. How about yeah, true, you? True. <laughs> yeah, but you guys, have you been asking that. any seventeen million dollar questions? Is, is it time for me to put the no. Patreon link up now? Let's get that going, guys. So, That'd be great. Ed, yeah. if you want to drop a cool meal on us, uh, we will rename the show. Um, but anyway, yeah. So at this point, yeah, I got no problems. <laughs> I'm 44. I'll sell out tomorrow. So there's nothing left. So, pride, uh, well, believe pride. Let's go, Marcellus Wallace. Yes, thank you. That's uh, yeah. Well, um, we're do- we're gonna get into featured games tonight now, and I decided I'd do something a little different this week because honestly, y'all, the game slate this week is kind of bad. There's no ranked teams playing each other. It's there's a lot of trash out there. I even tried to get Lindsay to do a game that doesn't even really exist. So you know she's going to get to sit back and chill uh, this week. But it, it, the only game I was going to get exists. right this week, damn we, it. We do have we do have though um, some featured games though because we've got this interesting phenomenon that happens in college football where you get midseason rivalries, and we've even got one in the NFL too. So I thought you know what it might be fun to take a look at these because these aren't exactly like shining stellar rivalries that people would hold up as like the bastion of great competition because they tend to be one-sided back and forth, especially recently. And so I thought, well, it might be neat to just pull the curtain back on what makes this so special, what made it special, what can make it special again. And then, yeah, we'll throw some picks in too before we get to the lightning round. And we're going to start, Josh, with you this week on this one, my friend, with – 
Tennessee, four and three on the road to take on number four, Alabama, six and one. That's your Saturday, 6 p.m., 7 p.m. Eastern ESPN game, the third Saturday in October. Tell us all about it, man. Well, you know, one thing I'll just say about this week's game, um, I am so glad that Alabama has been on CBS. I think they've maxed out. I don't think I have to deal with Gary for the rest of the year. So, um, you know, thanks to the championship game and Nick Saban. Yeah. You know what? (laughs) By then and and for that game, it it would be worth it. But um, no, as, as someone who, um, who moved to Alabama, um, in you know my late teenage years um but have loved football since i was five college and the pros Um, i had some before i came to alabama i had some idea of the hatred and history uh, between alabama and tennessee before i moved here then i moved here and I, I, I had a whole new appreciation for it even before I adopted them as my team. So, you know, the vaunted third Saturday in October series is one of the weirder rivalries that you're going to see. Um, and, and it's it, it's it's just it's it's weird when you think about some of the great rivalries in, um, you know, like college football we're talking right now when you think about. Ohio State and Michigan, an Army-Navy, the Iron Bowl, which comes up later. Most rivalries are rivalries in part. You know, usually there's geography or um, in our armed services, it's not so much geography, but it's um, that that similar culture and and, and code um, uh, among the academies. Um, But there's also usually, you know, it becomes because of a certain amount of parity between the teams. Alabama and LSU haven't necessarily had a heated and storied rivalry. They've just been colliding at the end of seasons here lately with a lot riding on it. That exists here in the third Sunday or the third, the third Saturday in October ish. This is one of the streakiest rivalries that you're ever going to see. Alabama has won the past 14 games in this series. The Tennessee won 10 of the previous 12 prior to that. The Vols had a nice run in the early 80s, and the Alabama took control in the mid-80s through the 90s. It's been like that going back since, I think, 1906 was the first time they played, and they tied in that one. Alabama does have the edge. Um, The 14 in a row that they've won – are um, right now the 14 game winning streak is largely responsible for um, putting Alabama so far out in front. It's 57 to 30 something um, with five or six ties over the years. So, you know, as, as Jay mentioned, this, this rivalry used to mean a whole lot more in when college football was more regional, when the sec was smaller, what would it take for this rivalry to return to a place of prominence? Well, it starts with the obvious. Tennessee has got to get better. They're rarely on any of the feature CBS games. You know, one thing, I heard this this week, guys. CB, Tennessee is never going to be, as the conference scheduling and all that is configured now, they're never going to be on the CBS game after October, their schedule is so front-loaded with Alabama being the you know the, the latest of them. Uh, but you know they'll have played Florida, Georgia, you know 
all that before that. And then they end their season with the Kentuckys, the Missouris, the um, the Vanderbilts of the of the world. And that's not going to get you a two thirty prime, you know, kickoff on the afternoon or even you know a prime time game. Um, Tennessee hasn't been in those kinds of games of late. Um, you know, game day hasn't been to Knoxville in who knows how long. Um, and, and they probably won't anytime soon after last week's idiocy. Whereas, you know, Alabama's been the biggest name in the sport for more than a decade. Alabama's done its part to keep this rivalry relevant. Tennessee needs to do theirs. Um, I mean, think about it. when's the last time Tennessee had, you know, a top five, top 10 NFL prospect, a guy that you wanted to watch. Even, you know, Oregon right now, uh, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, they've had Marcus Mariota and they're tucked away in the, you know, um, you know, Pacific Northwest uh, and on the West Coast. When's the last time Tennessee had that guy? Um, now, obviously, they want to get there. It's going to take some time. An interim step is that the Tennessee maybe needs an identity. They've been mired in mediocrity. I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't know who their last high profile player was. The last high profile coach they had was Delane Kiffin for one season. Since that time, they've been hiring undistinguished coaches without an offensive or defensive identity that makes them compelling or elite players to make that scheme come alive. If you can't be great, be good. If you can't be good, be interesting. Tennessee has managed to do none of that, and it shows in their national prominence, prominence and even their attendance. I'm betting um, athletic director Danny White is regretting some of his efforts to increase attendance with the way things went in Knoxville last week. The Vols need something to make people pay attention and care without starting riots while they try again to close the gap between them and SEC rivals. And that's actually where I think, as we start moving this towards this week's game, the Josh Heupel could come into play. He was not the guy most Vols fans were thinking of when the Jeremy Pruitt was run off in the midst of recruiting violation allegations. Um, but he might be the guy they need. He does not seem like a guy who's happy to just be there or to just get out with a win. Um, he's, you know, he, he's bringing that mentality to Knoxville might help the team um, achieve a little bit more than what they are while they try to create what they're trying to become. Kind of like what we're seeing what um, you know, Mel Tucker's doing at Michigan State this year. Where that's not a great team, but they're winning those games. You know, Heupel is, you know, it's a tough task, but he seems to have been born without that sort of pleaser chip in his personality. And that kind of imperviousness could really come in handy, provided the fans don't start throwing things at him the way they did the Lane Kiffin last week. Um, Heupel coaches with an edge. He speaks with an edge. He's got an attitude. Um, he comes from a coaching lineage that has built some of the most explosive offenses in college football. And as we all know, Offense sells tickets. It puts butts in the seats. It helps you get those better TV times. That's the type of thing it's going to take for Tennessee to do its part in making this rivalry once again take notice and and, and come alive. And, you know, um, I, I think Heupel's got a chance to do something there at Tennessee. As for this year, you know, look, it'll be interesting to me to see if the balls have been galvanized by the unfortunate spotlight they've been under since their fans' behavior last week. Or if they're beleaguered by it and from losing a close game that they actually had a chance to win. Problem remains, you know, problem remains that that probably isn't going to matter this week because Alabama's going to win a 15th straight 
and it's likely not going to be close in Tuscaloosa, kids. All right. Uh, I think I uh, know the panel here. Alan also picking Alabama in this one. Uh, we'll, we'll do it for posterity's sake, though. Brian, uh, any upsets in your uh, your bag this week? There are, but not here. Uh, <laughs> uh, is Peyton nice. Manning the uh, last high-profile Tennessee guy from 90-what-8? Uh, yeah. Maybe. Could be. I don't know anyone else. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, trying to think what Careless Price was after that. He was good. So he played the NFL for, yeah, for went, a half a minute. I mean, so, first round, but, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I'm picking Bama here. It's 42 to 27. All right. Lindsay, who you got? Yep. No upsets in my book. Well, not yeah. here again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> going with yeah. Brian. Yeah. I like Alabama for this one. Right. Go. Good stuff, Josh, and I agree with a lot of what you said there. Tennessee needs to start doing their part. Well, I'm going to pinch it for Allen. I'm not giving picks, but I am going to talk about USC 3-3 three and three, on the road to take on number 13, Notre Dame 5-1. and one. That's your Saturday, 6.30 p.m., 7.30 p.m. Eastern NBC game of the week. As it usually is, this rivalry game when it's played in Notre Dame is always the second or third Saturday in October. When it's in uh, Thanksgiving weekend, they do it out in sunny California. So, uh, you know, Alan was nice enough to share a few notes with me here and some things he put together. I think it's neat to talk about this game because it's been played every year from 1926 till now, with the two exceptions of World War II and last year with the pandemic when the Pac 12 canceled all non conference games. Um, these teams have a load of championships. The NCAA recognizes 13 for Notre Dame, nine for USC. I don't even know if that counts the one that they tried to take back. So maybe it's 10. Who knows? Uh, they also are known for all Americans. You got 101 historically for Notre Dame, 80 for USC, 52 college football Hall of Famers for the Domers, 35 for the Trojans. And in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, 13 for Notre Dame, 12 for USC. That's darn impressive, y'all. Sometimes conferences can't get 10 people in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So the fact that these two teams are double digits with both is impressive. Um, highest number of players taken in the NFL draft from any rivalry game known to humankind. USC's had 502 taken, Notre Dame 495. No rivalry in college accounts for nearly Man. that many combined honors. That's pretty, pretty slick. Now, that also includes a run of about 400 Notre Dame quarterbacks that totally got overdrafted, but we're going to leave that on the, on the side <laughs> note for tonight. You know, that's, all, that's about what the SEC puts in the um, draft every year. By that's the way. true. That's um, true. As you, as you pointed out in, in the opening statement, Josh. But no, I mean, right. that, is, that is wild for just two teams like that right? to have that many guys that have gone on to play that's 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 a crazy no. statistic and i didn't know that yeah and and like the the tennessee alabama game this has been a streaky series domination uh series so usc went 12 2 and 2 from 67 to 82 in this one notre dame went 11 0 and 1 from 83 to 95 in there and then usc had an 8 no run from 2002 to 2009 the, the pete carroll errors they also like to play spoiler to each other seasons too um undefeated Notre Dame has defeated USC in the Coliseum in 1988. Um, the Irish also spoiled Trojan campaigns as far back as the 40s and the 50s. Um, and then they even beat a number one ranked uh, USC team, or they tied them, which got counted like a loss uh, in 1968, and it knocked them behind Ohio State. So now we've got real reason to hate Notre Dame because they let Ohio State have a trophy. Uh, but USC's the done it. push where um, um, yep. the Irish, um, Charlie Weiss nearly knocked off one 
on Pete Carroll during that run, which was a crazy game. Five times this, the Trojans have spoiled the Irish title hopes from 38, 64, 70, 80, and then 1948 as well. Um, let Michigan go ahead and get a, a championship in there too. So these teams have gone back and forth. And I just took the last 10 years too. And right now, Notre Dame is owning this series. They are seven and three in the last 10 years. Uh, 2011, USC won. Then Notre Dame won two in a row, a couple close games. Then in 2014, USC blew them away 49 14. Big win, right? Notre Dame turned around and won the next year by 10 points. SC beat them by 18 the next year. And then the last three have been all Notre Dame. They really have. Notre Dame won 49 to 14 in 2017, uh, 24 to 17 in 2018, and 30 to 27 in 2019. So closer games there, the last two. And then obviously they didn't play last year. So all of that said is what makes this this thing special? Well, I think it's really the history of it is the thing you got to know about this game is that USC was one of the only teams that would play Notre Dame when Notre Dame was getting established and when they were really building their thing. So many teams, there was so much bias against Notre Dame, really anti-Catholic bias is where a lot of that is rooted from. But it was also because Notre Dame beat everybody so bad. Nobody wanted to play them across the country. USC said, hey, we'll take that train ride. You take it with us. And they established this rivalry back in the Newt Rockney days. And I think that's cool that they've kept it going through these years. It's one of the neat things. Now, this year's game, what are we going to get? Well, we're going to get an SC team that obviously is in transition. Uh, as we've said, they've really got one guy that seems to be doing anything on offense, and then everybody else is sort of there. Their defense is relatively non-existent, depending on the week. Notre Dame has no run game at all, and they may not have a pass game, depending on which quarterback they finally trot out there because all those guys are beat up now. They don't have the special playmakers outside. They got the great tight end, the baby Gronk guy, but their O-line's not great, and defensively, they're susceptible to the run. So where does that leave us? Well, if you've watched SC play the last couple of weeks, I think you're looking at a team that realizes this is over. It doesn't matter. There's a lot of guys that are probably going to hit that transfer portal, depending on who they wind up for coach. And I don't want to say they've quit. I think they're just kind of mailing it in. Honestly, I haven't seen a ton of effort out of them. One thing I'll say about Notre Dame, they're playing hard and they're fighting hard. They're not any good, but they're playing hard and they're fighting hard. And I say they're not any good. They're ranked number 13 in the country. But, I mean, you know, that is what it is. You know, they're five and one. They could easily be three and and three in this, too. They, they've been very close all year. I, I, I don't do picks on the show, but just looking at it, eh, there's a reason to pick one team over the other. Allen believed that, too. He picked Notre Dame in this one. So I'll toss it to, to you all. Brian, let's start with you. Who you got, Notre Dame or SC? I don't like either of these teams, really. I, I think uh, Notre Dame's record, five and one, is kind of a joke. So I'm going to pick them to win, but I think it's going to be close. I got them at 28-24. Uh, All right. Lindsay, what do you say? I have Notre Dame winning too, but not as close as Brian. I have them 37-21. All right. And Josh, round this out. If, if, if Notre Dame manages to get 37 points off the board, I don't think anything will surprise <laughs> me more. You know, the USC is one of my biggest disappointments this season. I took the USC to win the Pac-12 South, and they fired their coach eight minutes after the season started. <laughs> um, you know, the Notre Dame has some serious deficiencies, particularly on offense. The defense is good. Their safety, I'm blanking on his name. I had it. They've got some good players. I think the biggest thing with Notre Dame this year is they lost so much from last year. 
but Brian Kelly and staff are doing a great job. You know, the luck of the Irish is sort of a mystique there. You know, there's also no real um, substitute for, you know, playing hard and staying in those games, you know, when Florida State made the comeback, even though Florida State is even worse than either of these two teams are this year. And, you know, surviving against, you know, Wisconsin and and, and so on down the line. Um, I don't think – I agree with all of you guys. Notre Dame's not particularly good, but they're playing hard. They're playing together. Um, and and so I, I think that I'll take them to ward off the Trojans in South Bend um, in, in, in a close one. All right. So it's Notre Dame across the board. Can't say I disagree with any of that. Well, you know, I was looking at the NFL schedule and I thought, is there a rivalry game we could tie in? And by George, I found one. <laughs> Brian, this is your featured game of the week. The New York Jets. Gang Green, one and four. On the road to take on the New England Patriots, two and four. That's your uh, 12 uh, noon, uh, 1 p.m. CBS game if you're unlucky enough to be in that market. Tell us about the rivalry between the Jets and the Patriots, though, my friend. I will tell you that when I found out I was doing this game, I asked the question, the Jets actually have a rival? (laughs) Apparently they do. (laughs) The Jets and Patriots have been in the same division since 1960 when both teams were formed and have played each other two times per year every year since that date. The Patriots lead the series 70, 54, and 1. But if you take out the Brady years... The series is 47-41-1 in favor of the Jets. (laughs) Patriots have won the last 11 games between the two teams, which is 2016 to present. They have only met three times in the postseason, and the Patriots have the lead two games to one in that. One of the biggest events of this rivalry occurred when Bill Parcells, then the head coach of the Patriots, resigned after the Super Bowl victory and then took the Jets job in 1997, lighting a fire under Robert Kraft's ass and resulting in a bunch of additional picks for the Patriots who claimed the Jets tampered with their coach. Fast forward to 1999. Bill Parcells now has resigned as the Jets coach, handing the reins to his longtime defensive coordinator and current assistant head coach, Bill Belichick, only for Bill Belichick to resign the next day via a napkin of all things. <laughs> That's right. He wrote, I resigned from the New York Jets on a napkin. <laughs> The Jets denied all other teams' permission to talk to Belichick, and Bill then filed an antitrust lawsuit against the NFL in federal court. Wow. Parcells made up with the Patriots owner, Robert Kraft, and helped broker a deal between the Patriots and the Jets that would allow Belichick to become the Patriots' new head coach. One of the more famous (laughs) dates in this rivalry was September 23rd, 2001, when the Jets and Patriots faced each other, and Mo Lewis hit Patriots quarterback Drew Bledsoe, injuring him on the play. Tom Brady was pressed into action and was unable to help the team win, but the rest, as we say, is history. The two teams met again in December the same year with playoffs on the line for both teams, and Tom Brady won that battle 17-16 to and then carried the Patriots the rest of the way to a Super Bowl victory. From there on, Brady would own the Jets, amassing a 29-7 and record before leaving the Patriots for the Bucks in 2020. There have been 53 players that have played for both teams, and the notable names include Vinny Testaverde, Damian Woody, Curtis Martin, Ty Law, Brian Cox, Nick Folt, 
Sean Ellis, and current Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury. I don't know if he's really counting. Cliff. <laughs> Cliff was in the NFL for more than he a minute. He was a quarterback wow. for both months. <laughs> wow. <laughs> in the, is the rivalry still relevant? I mean, if you take out the Brady years, it was pretty competitive. Both teams were nothing to write home about most years. I think it's only really relevant to Patriots and Jets fans. Maybe not even for them. I'll take the Patriots in this game, 17 to 13. All right. You like the Patriots, Josh, who you got? So I I have to tell you guys, there was about two years ago on ESPN, like a 10,000 word, like oral history of, of the moment that, um, that, that, Brian just mentioned when Parcells resigned, Belichick's promoted, and resigns on a napkin. And, of course, you know, Belichick and Parcells aren't interviewed, but they got dozens of former players, front office staff members, coaches, you know, guys, you know, so many assistants were there, like, you know, the Eric Mangini, the Al Groh, you know, a bunch of these guys who were Parcells and Belichick guys fascinating read and and worth trying to go back and find they really actually did a, a great job with that revealing all of the um just just the craziness and the way those two franchises fortunes um changed um as for as for this game um this year the patriots record is poor but their play hasn't been um they were close to beating both the dallas and the tampa bay um in, in this season they're a good team not a great team the Robert Sala is going to get this Jets team functional. They have improved over the course of the season, and I expect that to continue. But, um, you know, the New England, they're further along in their rebuild than, than I think that the, uh, the, the Jets are. So I'm going to take the New England to win in the Foxborough, Massachusetts, and, and I think they're going to add to their um, slim lead in this rivalry. <laughs> All right, Lindsay. <laughs> First, Brian, I'm so glad I wasn't alone in thinking the Jets had a rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> the best part is like they were compared to the Yankees and the Red Sox. And I'm thinking, no. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you also get the whole Boston, New York thing. Oh, sure. 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 Yeah. But I do anyway. want to mention New York too, sucks. <laughs> I want to mention, too, that this rivalry must be so heated that on a podcast recently, Tom Brady was talking about Aaron Rodgers and his little deal about owning part of the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. And the co-host had mentioned, well, you must own the Jets then. And he said, yeah, no, I don't really want that. <laughs> Give me the green color and all the rest can go away. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Lynn, your pick. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm also with the New England Patriots on this one. Uh, closer game. twenty. Well. Lower scoring game, 21-15. Yeah, I think the under for sure. I just want to say that having a coach resign on a napkin and then have to file <laughs> a, a federal lawsuit, that is some SEC level stuff if I've ever heard that of was, the NFL. That, that almost that, that almost yeah. rivals the Philadelphia Eagles having a coach and a quarterback statue, neither of which are anywhere near that place out in front of their stadium right now. That is so SEC, it hurts. You so, do know uh, that uh, Bill Belichick is not part of the union, right? No, I did not know that. Not that is why. Oh, that is why. <laughs> that, well, so yeah. He, you know, that explains is, all those years on Madden. It was any he's, coach. It was, yeah. yeah. He, he was not, he's not in any NFL games or anything oh, that they, they license. 
I did not did not realize that was it. I thought he just opted out, you know. So, oh well. Well, you learn something Meanwhile, new every Coastal day. Carolina, number fourteen in the country, is up twenty to fourteen at the um, beginning of the third quarter. For those of you who are keeping an eye on that while watching us. By the way, it's in his uh, his name bar there. Follow Josh on on the Twitter machine if you're so inclined to use that. Um, tweeted a real nice set of uh, the teal action that the Coastal Carolina is wearing tonight. It's pretty pretty solid stuff. G- G5 is like minor league baseball with uniform fun. It can be good. It can be horrendous, but it can be good too. So that's an example of good. So no coastal. Well, it's time to get into some lightning round action here and uh, get some picks from you all on a good, uh, you know, I think a better slate of games than what we featured this week, but we wanted to talk rivalries. This one well, is, uh, NFL this, games. this one's going to matter. Okay. This one's going to matter in the big 12 race because Oklahoma state undefeated, putting that undefeated mark on the line. Out in Ames, Iowa, where weird stuff happens. Four and two is Iowa State on the year, but uh, boy, they again, they're a tough bunch. That's your Saturday, 2.30 Central, 3.30 Eastern Fox game of the week. Brian, let's start with you on that one. I don't go against the Cowpokes. I ain't going against them now. Give me Oklahoma State 21-17 on this one. All right, you've got Oklahoma State. Josh, what about you? Weird things do happen in Ames, Iowa, and the Mike Gundy and the Oklahoma State know that all too well. Brees Hall finally got going a little bit last week. That was good to see. Cowpokes have been one of the few teams that have been good to me on the breakdown. But I think they've taken me about as far as they can. Give me the Iowa State at home. All right, Josh taking Iowa State. Uh, let you know, Alan also took Iowa State, Josh. So, Lindsay, who right. you got? Wow. All right, well, look. Iowa State offense has rebounded from early in the season. They're raking in over 400 yards a game. They're also fifth in pass defense and third in overall defense, in case anyone is keeping score there. But here's the thing. Oklahoma defense and that pass rush is still going to be tough to go up against, and Jalen Warren is on fire with four 100-yard games in a row, including a 193-yard game against Texas Longhorns. It's probably not going to be fun for Oklahoma State. Weird things do happen in Iowa, but I still like Oklahoma State to win, 27-23. All right, so split panel it is. I like it. Fun stuff in the Big 12. That's definitely one to check out. I'm, I'm going to be flipping between that and this next game for sure this Saturday because it's Pac-12 time, or as Josh Hathaway fed me in the pregame uh, talk-up, it could be a revenge of the chip game here as Oregon five and one is on the road to take on the UCLA Bruins who are five and two. These teams fighting for their spots in the Pac-12 races, even though they're in different divisions, they can't take another loss. Again, that's your Saturday, 2.30, 3.30 ABC game of the week. And Josh, we'll start with you on this one. Chip Kelly is going to put the final nail in the playoff hopes of his former team. I like quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Uh, I like the Zach Charbonnet at running back a lot. I actually – I don't know why. I've gotten to watch them play a couple times a year. I like this year's Bruins team. They've got a lot of experience. They're playing at home. Mario Cristobal's done as good a job as, as really as you can under some just tough circumstances that have happened at Oregon, starting with, you know, Kevon Thibodeau getting hurt in the very first game. They didn't look very good in that, you know, and then everything was riding high when they went out to the Oregon or out to the Ohio state and, and um, beat the Buckeyes. 
but they have sustained some critical injuries. Now, all world pass rusher, the Kayvon Thibodeau, is back in action for the Ducks. But I don't think he's going to be enough. You know, they, they haven't replaced the offense that left when C.J. Verdell got hurt. Um, give me the Bruins. Give me the UCLA at home. I, I, think, I think they're going to get this one. All right. You've got the Bruins. Lindsay, what do you say? You know, Oregon has not played particularly well this year, but they do keep finding ways to win. And I think they'll win. I think it'll be really ugly, but I think they'll figure out how to win. I like Oregon to win 23-21. All right. Brian, what about you? I don't like how Oregon's Oregon's playing, so I'm picking the home team here as well. I think UCLA is going to pull out a win, 32 to 28. App State just took the lead, by the way. Oh, okay. So that's getting close. Uh, Allen has got the Ducks in this one too. So we are a split panel on the lightning round so far. He likes the Ducks' uh, ability to pull it out of the fire, as he as he said. So uh, Lindsay, so they they do have a way of doing that. Um, I, I'm going to tell you one one reason I think. But you might if you look at UCLA and you go like, wow, this doesn't look like what I expect because we generally think of like UCLA and most of these Pac-12 teams is like these finesse teams. Oregon and UCLA are some smash mouth teams. They will punch you in the face. And then take your lunch money, and so and hit you with it. Um, they they both like to do that. So, uh, speaking of punch you in the face, if you want some G five murder action this weekend, y'all, you need to find yourself a friend that has this. Get some YouTube TV. Go to a Buffalo Wild Wings and find FS two because Nevada five and one on the road at Fresno State five and two for your six p.m. 7 p.m. FS2 game uh, is going to be your G5 game of the weekend. Uh, Coastal App State, if that was a Saturday, we'd be all over that one too, but it's a Wednesday night. Boy, Nevada, Fresno State, this could be a hard-hitting game for sure. I'll go ahead and tell you now, Allen likes the gutty Fresno State Bulldogs in this one. He's taking them in a close one. Lindsay, let's start with you. Man, Nevada had a really strong showing against Hawaii. They had – 477 yards total, 395 through the air. They're also really good on third downs. And despite Fresno State's ability to force turnovers, I like Nevada to win, 32-27. All right, so you got the road team with the Wolfpack. Gosh, what about you? I really wish I had FS2. Um, I think this is going to be a game of of supreme violence, and and that pleases me. I'd love to watch the Carson Strong take his Wolfpack on the road against the Fresno State. Um, he's one to watch in the real housewives spinoff that is the pre-draft NFL quarterback evaluation. That said, I like the Fresno State to win a close game at home. I think blood will be spilled, but but, but give me the Fresno State at home. Yeah, for those that may not remember, Fresno State is one of the teams that knocked off UCLA this year, and they their quarterback did it with like half his body in a cast or something. It was insane. Like the guy had a full <laughs> cramp and laid down on the field at the end. It was un- it was unbelievable. Brian, what do you think? I'm taking the home team here. I got Fresno State 24-21 in a close one. All right, Fresno State in a close one. So everybody likes Fresno except Nevada, or except uh, Lindsay. He's picking the Wolfpack. So too sweet. So we'll see how it goes. All right. Well, we got some NFL games in these. Look, uh, these I are don't the know if we can call things. these games. I, yeah, these are games. Say, games. They're not the. They're. I picked them purposely because this is the either do something meme or don't <laughs> games of of the week, and we'll know for sure whether or not the horses are dead when the Carolina or when the Atlanta Falcons two and three. Go on the road to take on the Miami Dolphins, a 
I, I got to say, a surprising one in five. I would not have thought that myself. Trade rumors abounding. It's probably going to rain. It's Sunday, 12 p.m. Central, 1 p.m. on Fox, if you're unfortunate enough to be in those markets. Josh, you're in one of those markets, sadly. Uh, who you got in this one? You know, the Dolphins seem to be better with Tua, but it's hard to tell on this five-game losing streak. People forget, you know, they opened with a tight win against New England in the Foxborough in what was actually a pretty good game by, by both young quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. The Atlanta has only beat the two more above New York teams, and I thank them for their service. There's no reason to like either team in this game. No reason to watch or pick this game, but I think Jay hates me and does <laughs> things like this to bring me torment. It worked. I'll take the Dolphins because I have to take somebody. I pick these because I think it might be difficult to choose the lesser of two awfuls. Lindsay, who you got? <laughs> yeah, boy, you are kidding. <laughs> well, Woo. Dolphins do lead this series 9-4, but they are currently 29th in points per game and 29th in points allowed per game. Oh, and they are 30th in yards on offense and defense. Now, while the Falcons are not much better, they are 22nd in scoring and 20th in yards per game with an equally bad defense. I think it will be enough to earn the Falcons the W. Oh, and they're coming off a bye week, so they will be uh, slightly more mended and ready to go, I think. So give me the Falcons to win 21-17. All right. Allen also likes the Dirty Birds. Brian, what say you? Brian Flores was pissed off last week <laughs> to lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, he's he should going have been. to work this team up and get them ready for a pretty crappy Matt Ryan and the Falcons team. Give me the Dolphins at home, 24-17 in this one. All right. Do you like that off a split panel? Again, that's why that's why we do these because sometimes we get a little more variance. It makes it a little more fun. <sighs> Be gentle. Um, Carolina <laughs> Panthers, three and three, it used to be three and zero, oh, as we like to say in Pantherville, going up to take on the New York Giants, who are one and five, and just a couple weeks away from firing some GMs and coaches. I think this is also a twelve p.m. one noon Fox. Thankfully, I don't live anywhere in the market, so but I'll get it because it's Charlotte uh, here, <laughs> game of the week. Brian, tell me, is my misery going to end or is it going to continue? You know, I really feel for the Giants because this is not the year to suck. You've got (laughs) nothing to pick from out of the quarterback (laughs) position in this draft coming up. And you really need to replace Daniel Jones because he is just not the answer. I'm taking the Panthers to crush the Giants 21 to 6. I mean, it's not a big score, but it's a crushing crush, of the Giants. Crush, 21, to 21, 21 points for the Panthers would be a crush. I, I admit. <laughs> okay, uh, Josh, what about you? Joe Judge doesn't have this team, and there's not much of a team for him to have in the first place. The Panthers, the Panthers do have a defense. I think, you know, on, on, on Brian's pick there, you know, thinking that the that, that the Giants might wind up with like, you know, a six-point effort. The Panthers play defense. The Giants have no offensive line. Truly, I don't know. Look, kind of like, you know, his, his quarterback and counterpart, Sam Darnold, I, I'm not inclined to say that I think Daniel Jones is all that good, but the malpractice 
of the offensive line that loiters in front of him makes him really tough to evaluate. And so, you know, I, I, I don't know, but you know, in this week's matchup, um, you know, he's going to be facing a, a damn good defense and, and the Sam Darnold, the aforementioned Sam Darnold is showing signs that he might be at least a valid NFL quarterback. I think that Joe Brady's doing a good job with him, despite the fact that, you know, all world, all get you know all world gadget man Christian McCaffrey is you, you just don't know how if he's going to be in the lineup from week to week but they're finding a way to get some points without just a ton to work with so I, I think Brian scores actually pretty close I think Carolina's going to get into the end zone a couple of times I don't think the Giants will so I'll take the Carolina I think they're going to get back on the um on on they're going to end this three-game losing streak and, and and get back on the winning trail. All right, Lindsay. Urban Meyer saying? has more of his team than Joe Judge has of his. Ooh. You know what? That's actually an interesting – that would be an interesting um, topic of conversation. Who's got – yeah. who's yeah. got more credibility in their locker room right now, the Urban Meyer or the Joe Judge? Go ahead, Lindsay. That, is, that that's even a question right now is shocking. Sorry. <laughs> I think uh, I, I'm in agreement. Panthers defense are looking pretty good, and they need to be, especially with Darnold having a tough game here and there, uh, especially against the Vikings. If he can get, if Darnold can get his act together for this game, honestly, maybe even if he can't, I I still think the Panthers should be able to win this one. Give me Carolina to win 24-17. Well, I just want all of you to know that Alan said, I just woke up feeling dangerous. I don't know. Something tells me the Giants rally can get it done. I don't trust that offense from Carolina. And I said, <laughs> okay, I hope you feel better tomorrow. So, <laughs> so he's picking We're the Giants. We're going to blame it on the migraine, man. It's got to be it. So, well, the last NFL game that we'll talk about uh, this week, the Indianapolis Colts 2-4 and four, got a rescue this season that's tail spinning quickly, and they got to go to the West Coast to do it, to take on the San Francisco 49ers. Once again, a mash unit at 2-3. and three. That's your 7-20, 8-20 NBC game on Sunday night. Um, I don't know. It could be a coin flipper. I'll go ahead and tell y'all, Alan thinks the home team in this one simply because they're the home team. He likes the Niners in this one. Lindsay, what do you say? Oh, man. Uh, well, Colts do lead this all-time 26-19, uh, to 19, so they've been playing since 1950. Figured I'd throw that Ooh. in there since we're talking through rivalries this yeah, week. Fair enough. Uh, but these two teams have not met since 2017. Colts are coming off a pretty big win, so they should be fairly confident. 49ers coming off a bye, so they should be well-rested. But also worth mentioning, they are coming off a loss to the Cardinals before the bye in which they held the Cardinals to 17 points, which is Arizona's lowest all season. That's nothing to shake a stick at if I think that's the right uh, phrase. Um, <laughs> One of those. People die tonight. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, despite the cold performance. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I like the home field advantage for the 49ers too. And I'm with Alan. That's pretty much the only thing that went into me picking them. So give me San Francisco to win 27-23. Josh, are you going to San Francisco with flowers in your hair or are you hanging around uh, St. Elmo's Steakhouse? You know, look, I'm, I'm lovely. I am so glad that we are renewing the hostilities, the vaunted rivalry of the Indianapolis Colts 
in the San Francisco 49ers. I can't believe it's been since 2017 since we got these teams on a field together. Yeah. And, yeah. and I can't wait to see this one. <laughs> you know, look, I, I, Lindsay actually, you know, hit something here. You know, yes, the Colts are um, are, are coming off of a big win and and and, and bully for them. But um, the Niners went to the desert, held Arizona to 17 some quarterback injury issues, um, you know, kind of hampered them. This 49ers defense can play. I like defense. I like home. I like defense at home. Um, I think they can get to Carson Wentz. And, yeah, he had a good game last week. But Carson Wentz is utterly unreliable other than for his unpredictability and his penchant for giving the football to the other team. I think that 49ers defense and and defensive coordinator um, D'Amico Ryans um, is going to be able to get some pressure on him, get a couple of mistakes out of him. San Francisco will win at home and and um, eat away at the Colts' lead in one of the NFL's storied rivalries. All right. You've got the Niners too. Brian, round us out. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. And Carson Wentz is a blind squirrel. <laughs> Give me the 49ers. 2318. It'll be close. But uh yeah, Carson Wentz will not win this game. All right. So it's 49ers across the board for everyone. Well, We've got a little surprise for you coming up in a sec, but first I have to bring you Alan's Jabroni Pick of the Week. It's brought to you by the Military Industrial Complex. The San Diego State <laughs> Aztecs are 6-0, and and they're on the road to take on the Air Force Falcons, who are 6-1. and But be not mistaken, these two teams don't air it out, even though they live west of the Mississippi. They keep it on the ground. The Falcons average 336 on the ground, and they do it in a variety wow. of formations. Brian, if you like coastal, you should watch – Troy Calhoun and the Air Force Falcons, they run a lot of varied front to get their rushing out, unlike what Navy and Army does necessarily. San Diego State, um, y'all know who the coach is there, right? Former Michigan coach, Brady Hoke. Um, yes, no I'm, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Brady Hoke <laughs> is getting it done. Touchdown, in the Coastal Carolina. They've taken the lead. Brady Hoke is getting it done in the town that the Chargers couldn't stay in. They're getting 215 on the ground. Neither team likes to throw it. San Diego State does a little bit more than Air Force. It's like 129 to 79. But the Aztecs might be undefeated. But as Brian likes to say, don't go into the military's backyard and think you're walking out of the Crystal Palace with anything but some sore feelings. Give the Falcons the win. San Diego State and Brady Hoke, you're the jabroni this week. So that's it. But – I got a little note from my producer that says Lindsay won't send on some of this action this week. So what do you got? Put your cow boots on boys. <laughs> we are going down South. <laughs> so uh, these two teams have played each other off and on since 1943, but it wasn't until recent history starting in 2005 that they played with any regularity. And up until 2015, the winds bounced back and forth between the two which has rivalry kind of written all over it. That's right. I'm talking about Tulane and SMU. Now, Tulane has had a rough go of it this year. Fair, fair enough to say. Like they're currently in last place in conference standing and on a four-game losing streak, 
Luckily, they're coming off a bye week because their next two games are going to be Where brutal. Where do they hang out for their bye week? Is there any power in New Orleans right now? They, they are, are back home, back home and that. settled. Thank God I'm for getting that. there, Josh. Get comfortable. Put your comfy pants on. <sighs> Go. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, SMU is sitting on top of the AAC in total offense. 511 yards per game and passing yards per game, 315, 16 or so. And they are making significant improvements defensively every game. Now, I want to remind everyone that Tulane, as Josh alluded to, was displaced at the beginning of the season due to Hurricane Ida. Now, that's got to shake things up for a team, right? No team is going to perform at their best, shifting around like that. They've been back and settled at home now, though, for about a month and back into the general routine. Now, I mentioned earlier that up until 2015, the wins between these two teams bounced back and forth. In 2015, that is when the winning streak for the Mustangs began, winning the last six contests against Tulane. Here's the thing, though. Four of those wins have been by four points or less. And that score also has rivalry written all over it. And maybe I'm going out on a limb here. Hear me out. This is the jabroni. If two teams are playing that close, that that consistently, that's a good matchup. Those matchups become charged with emotion, especially when the winning team is no guarantee. And I think... The pendulum for this series is going to swing back into Lane's favor. And in honor of our rivalry theme here today, I think that will further solidify this up-and-coming rivalry. Give me Tulane to break that four-game losing streak to win 32-21, to boys. Tulane knocks SMU from the ranks of the unbeaten. Well, that is definitely not the craziest thing said on this show tonight, amazingly. (laughs) (laughs) Tonight it might be. (laughs) That is it. You know what? I I like it. Good, good work on that as always. Well, we've come to the end of our fun here for this week. And uh, all I can say is next week's looking awesome because there's some good ranked on ranked (laughs) matches uh, that we'll get into. Uh, But, you know, it's always fun to chop it up and just talk good football here with all of you. And thank you so much for listening and watching the show, whether you've caught us live or you're catching us on the other side of things, uh, watching us afterward or listening to the show. We appreciate the support. Spread the love around your social media as well. Tell folks about the Gridiron Breakdown and all the cool stuff we've got going on here. Because what other show can possibly bring you the complete variety of games we have brought you this week i dare say game day won't touch any of these um so we'll we'll uh, Most maybe shows like to focus on the good games i mean We're a little bit different and that is their downfall. anybody can do that i mean right so uh, that's how it tends to go well it's like again, ryan mcgee's bottom 10 there at espn which is always worth watching it is always worth watching just like the gridiron breakdown here so for alan who's off this week Josh, Brian, Lindsay, I'm Jay. Thanks for tuning in and watching. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for watching and listening to The Gridiron Breakdown. Visit thegridironbreakdown.com where you will find links to everywhere the show is featured. Give us a follow, a like, and subscribe to stay up to date with the show. Tune in next week. 
for more analysis and opinions from our hosts.